Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. I know everyone's watching right now here. Uh, this FIFA World Cup matchup between the United States and Iran. 1-0 for the United States on a Christian Pulisic goal. We are in the final minute of nine of second half stoppage time right now. And what pressure this is for the U.S. And oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, Matt Turner stopped the ball. It leaked through, but a defender... For the U.S. cleared it out. Now the U.S. clearing it down the field. It is unbelievable what we could be seeing here, ladies and gentlemen. And they're asking for VAR. They're asking for VAR to see if that's a handball on the U.S. The Iranians are asking to see if it's a handball on the Iranians. And I don't see any handball or a foul. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing there at all. Both were playing the ball. And honestly, I don't see a foul there whatsoever. I don't see a, I don't see anything right now to me that constitutes VAR to say that it's a handball or it's a foul or it's a penalty in the U.S. area. No, oh, they're calling for a foul. No, barely anything. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. And the referee's telling the goalkeeper, play the ball. Play the ball now. So the United States, uh, absolutely nothing there. Iran, now the United States are clearing it out in the middle of the field. They have the ball. Now it's an attack. Three on two, three on three. Here comes the U.S. And the ball will be kicked towards the goalie. Haji Wright had a chance, could not do anything. He's going to pop it up, go down the pitch, and the U.S. will move it up in the middle. The referee hasn't said anything yet. Iran still has the ball. Moving it down, passing it around, and now going into the area, headed out by the United States, and that will be that. The United States advances to... The second round to the round of 16 of the FIFA World Cup. And the United States, ladies and gentlemen, will be taking on the Netherlands in the second round of the 2022 FIFA World Cup. It is unbelievable to see this happen. Dates. Oh, my goodness, what have we seen here today? It is unbelievable. Revenge for the 1998 World Cup in France when the United States lost 1-0. Against Iran, they get the revenge here in 2002. Unbelievable scenes. What we are seeing here, ladies and gentlemen, unbelievable moment as the United States advances. And now officially, welcome to the 40 Scenes Fire American Soccer Show, the post-game show, joining, of course, with Carter Krishnire and soon Robert Hay of World Soccer Talk as, oh my God, what a match this was. What a match, not for the faint of heart. Carter Krishnire for the United States, for people like you and me who have watched this national team play in this World Cup and in past World Cups, You can say it as well as I can, revenge, revenge for the France World Cup in 1998 in the group stage 
The United States avenges that loss as they advance into the round of 16. What a match this was to get their victory to advance into the second round. Yeah, Daniel, and, and a better Iran team than the team we lost to in 98. Uh, certainly Carlos Carlos, a guy you know well, managed the, the Red Bull, or they were the Metro Stars in those days, managed the Metro Stars, uh, knows a lot about the U.S. and has Iran really well organized in the first half. You know, that was a uh, just a gutsy goal from Christian Pulisic um, and uh, a, a, a nice piece of service from Sergio Depp. Um, I really think Today came down to really gutsy play from the goalkeeper, Matt Turner, and from the center back, Cameron Carter-Vickers, who was inserted in this team. We did not think was going to be in the 26th for the World Cup. And look, the U.S. today got through this match and got through this group stage ultimately um, as arguably the best team in in Group B, uh, although obviously they finished second in the group, uh, because – Burhalter, for all the criticism he's gotten, had the guts to pivot in his selection and select both Tim Ream, which I've been calling for for a couple of years now, uh, and Cameron Carter-Vickers, which I have not been calling for, but I know other people like Al Weinstein uh, and others with the Bass Champions podcast uh, and others have been calling for Carter-Vickers for some time. So if the U.S. goes into this World Cup, with a center-back pairing of, you know, one of the center-back pairings we've seen in qualifying, I think they're out. Instead, you know, they've got a great chance now to make a deep run in this World Cup because the draw is very favorable. You, you, get, you get the Netherlands in the next round, they can certainly be beat. Um, they haven't been impressive. They haven't been close to the level I'd expect, I, I had expected them to be before the tournament yet. Uh, and then who knows? So um, I think we do owe a lot of us owe Greg Berhalter an apology. He has shown he can pivot. He has shown he can uh, play for the moment, right? The, the England game, tactically, he changed the formation in order to kind of sit on England, and, and it worked. Uh, and Southgate didn't pivot, didn't adjust. And then today, you know, made the, ultimately the right call at center back uh, because this was a game of inches, right? I mean, Iran very easily could have had a goal or two goals, right? Even uh, so I give him a lot of credit for, for the way uh, he, he had the guts to make that call to insert Carter Vickers. And then also, I think, uh, with death tiring, bringing in Shaq Moore the last 10 minutes really helped also on that uh, right side of defense where Iran were uh, creating a lot of chances before death got off or was taken off. Yo, I absolutely agree, Cardick. You know, Robert... Gutsy, gutsy game by the U.S. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves here. If they would have been a little bit more clinical up front, this would have been maybe 2-0, maybe 3-0 for the United States. How they were able to penetrate this Iranian team's defense, even though they couldn't get anything more other than Pulisic's goal, which, you know, great job by him, unfortunately. As they say in baseball, the broken bat dies a hero. That's what Pulisic did. He, his injury took him out in the entire second half. Uh, Burhalter forced to substitute him out of there due to the injury in his, uh, in his stomach area. And great, great goal by Pulisic to just basically muscle his way through. Just tremendous play by Burhalter and by this USA team there, Robert. Yep, and uh, first of all, let me say I'm glad that Kardik went on first because I think I'm still shaking after those last 10 minutes. Man, what a what an adrenaline rush that was. Um, yeah, so uh, a couple of things to unpack here with that. You know, number one, um, yeah, to be a little bit of the Debbie Downer on this one. Um, yeah, the U.S. did have a couple of really good chances in the first half that they did not convert. Um, so you know, we going to halftime, there was this talk of, but Wales, but Wales, but Wales. You know, would we see a repeat of what happened in the first game of this group stage. And we didn't, um, you know, I'll, I'll echo what Cardick said, you know, Greg Verhalter gets a lot of credit or from this game and should get a lot of credit for this game for making some good, good, tough choices. Um, and the U S did what it needed to do ultimately, which was hang on for the win. Um, would we like to have seen a few more goals? Absolutely. Was there some chances there and a little bit better finishing? Um, absolutely. Um, I was a little bit concerned about Wea there. Um, in this, in the first half, I was like, uh, I hope you're not going to regret some of these misses uh, later in the game. But um, overall, you know, I think the U.S. Um, did what they didn't do against Wales, which was 
basically adjust to the adjustment. Um, now it was, as Kardec said, a game of inches, and we very well could have, you know, been crying in our beers at this point um, based on a number of close chances. But I think overall, looking at this from a high level, um, you know, the U.S. got the tactics right. They did what they needed to do, which is what we say all the time in World Cup qualifying: win and move on. And they have won this game, and they're moving on. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, guys, I, I just got to say, you know, this was definitely, I agree with Robert Kardec, is that this was definitely a game of inches, game of uh, nerves, and you're wondering, you know, when, when is that second goal coming? Oh, my God, when is I, it, will Iran level this match and get an equalizer? How many opportunities do they have, Iran, to at least force the U.S. into panic mode, which they probably were no matter what, but still, though, this game... In my eyes, Kardec, was a game of you got to make sure that a you take your chances well, b you don't you don't commit any silly fouls near the area or inside the area, and c you don't give Iran any free moments whatsoever. You do not lose your marker anywhere if you are the back line, and this was uh, probably the the most completed victory I've seen so far, even under Burhalter. Yeah, it, 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 it's a mental uh, game, and mental fatigue when Iran is besieging you. And look, Iran um, had scored four goals in the first two matches. Uh, we had scored one. So uh, this is a team that clearly um, had taken their chances in earlier matches. I know uh, people talk about England beating them 6-2. I, I was actually alarmed from an England perspective that day how many chances on the counter Iran created, which could have happened in the first half of this match. Iran had set up very much the same way they had uh, against England. Uh, unlike England, we're a little uh, better with the ball, right? We're better, a little more technical. I mean, I, this England team has a lot of flaws. It's pretty amazing that uh, uh, they won this group. But that's, that's a subject for another time. Uh, and I think we showed a mental fortitude, both in that first half and keeping the door shut, Right when Iran was clearly playing, uh, playing on the break, then minute 38, Pulisic goal, um, seeing out the half, you know, really thought we had a second goal from Timmy Weah. Uh, he was off. That was that was the correct call. But uh, at that point, we think the door shut. Um, and then since the door is left ajar, the mental fitness and, and look again, um, a lot of people who just focus on the national team. And have told me for the last couple of years, and I'm going to harp on this, Daniel. I'm sorry, but I'm taking my moment uh, to bask in this for a minute. Um, uh, that have told me, you know, your, your, your guy, Tim Reed, you know, my guy, he, 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 just because he's doing it at Fulham week in and week out, uh, it doesn't matter. It's not the same thing as playing for the U.S. He can't do it. It's, it's a different scenario. He's too old. He shouldn't be in the national team. We all have all these great young uh, defenders. Well, look, Reem has seen out – Match after match in promotion fight and relegation fight with Fulham. Every single match Timmy Reed plays for Fulham, there's something on the line, which is not the case with a lot of the other American players. I hate to say, whether they're playing in MLS or in Europe. Um, and he captains that side. So you saw the grit and heart of a champion today from him. He was uh, all three matches, really. Uh, I think if, if Berhalter does not make the big call, and, 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 and call up Timmy Reeve, even though he hasn't been capped in several years. I don't think he had a single cap under Berhalter, actually. I think his last cap was under uh, Dave Sarakin. Um, the U.S. Is, is, is flying home right now. So um, I think that Berhalter deserves a lot of credit. He had seemingly settled on a group of favorites that he kept picking for friendlies and he kept picking for qualifiers. And he realized he could not go in to that this World Cup, uh, particularly on the back line with those guys. And uh, the Reem call, I'm basking in the glow of that, uh, but also Carter Vickers, and that was a huge call today. And mentally, those two guys, Carter Vickers plays at a very high level in Scotland. Reem, match in, match out. You can't make mistakes where he is at Fulham um, because they're fighting for survival in the Premier League or fighting for promotion in the championship when they're down. Uh, so he's a guy that if you need to shut the door and you need to organize the back line, you want out there. And, and he did it again today. Yes, he really did. And I will agree uh, with Kardec as well, Robert, 
that Cameron Carter Vickers, I thought, was a necessary uh, strategic move by Burhalter to put him with Tim Ream and not Walker Zimmerman. Not saying I don't trust Walker Zimmerman, but when you're facing a team like Iran, I, I think we have to be honest with ourselves here. We all know Iran. They're a bunch of ballers, and at the same time, they're a bunch of battlers as well. And they will find a way to not only push and shove, they're going to find a way to you know, basically be a battering ram at your back line to force chances, to force free kicks, to force a possible penalty situation, to get any call possible against their opponents. And to have Carter Vickers, you saw him in the second half, how he was able, or even in the first half, that he had to shield the ball to allow Matt Turner to grab it. He had to bump the attacker down from in behind him just so he could let Turner get that ball. And that's what you need to do. You've got to fight fire with fire, depending on who you have on your roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it, this came up, you know, I was listening to um, SiriusXM pregame um, to, to – you know, get ready for this match. And, you know, one of the things brought up is, you know, how he plays in Scotland. We've brought this up here today, playing for Celtic, who I think a lot of people have forgotten about because of, of they aren't the Celtic of, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. But, I mean, this is still a club that qualifies for Europe and plays in a league where, um, you know, it's a tough league to play in. It's, you know, tough places to go play. You play against tough players. And, you know, bringing on a player of the type that um, – does this week in week out you know has to play a physical game has to you know be ready you know when your team's trying to attack to 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 break the counter um it can't be understated and you know there's an an element there's an art to you know playing physical defending you know that little bump that little shoulder to shoulder uh it's a fine line sometimes between um a penalty and a good play and, you know, going into this match, it was noted that the referee is a very good referee, very experienced referee, but someone who does not, uh, you know, blow a whistle quickly and easily. So, you know, having someone like CCV back there who is experienced, is experienced with, you know, type of play that could play well for the U.S. Um, and won't embarrass himself, um, you know, was a shrewd move. Now, again, I brought this up, you know, uh, one, you know, earlier uh, in one of the earlier games. It's easy for a manager sometimes to just stick with the safe choice. And in this case, you know, the the ponytail uh, duo would be the safe choice here. It's like, you know, Zimmerman's done well. Let's stick with him. You know, if I make a change, Greg Berhalter, then and it goes wrong, then the spotlight's on me. And I mentioned, you know, I wrote something up um, prior to the game last night on my my little site. And, you know, I said, really, if you're Greg Berhalter – your goal is to be the manager of this team in 2026. And what's the easiest way to blow that, blow this game and make a decision that comes back to haunt you. And um, so I, you know, I give him a lot of credit for, you know, sitting there and saying, this is the right choice going with it and it paying off because if something would have happened or, you know, if we would have had a Gareth Bale situation, um, which again, shouldn't happen with somebody like CCV, but if something like that would have happened where we, you know, go out of the world cup based on a, you know, seemingly a one decision, one personnel decision, then that would have been a tremendous, tremendous um, talking point that would have lasted for four years. Yeah, it really would have. And, uh, you know, the only person who would be uh, in trouble would be Greg Berhalter and not any of us. You know, there there has been question marks, Kardec, um with Greg Berhalter's substitution patterns. And I'll admit, I'm, I'm one of them. I, I, I mean, while I do understand why Burhalter went with five defenders in the back to, you know, for the remaining to, for the remaining time in this matchup against Iran, um, you know maybe you could have brought in Gio Reyna. Maybe you could have brought in someone who's a ball winner who can hold the ball in front and be in front as well to take a pass and take a well placed shot on frame to maybe get that second goal. I mean, I understand why he went with five defenders on the back line and pulled out Tim Weah, but still, though, uh, which, I mean, that would have been maybe a little bit of a better feeling, maybe, but, I mean, look, it worked anyway, and the U.S. got the victory, And but still, though, maybe Reyna probably should have been subbed into this match. 
Um, I'm tired of the Gio Reyna conversation. I, I really am. Okay, so uh, Eric Winalda mm-hmm. has come out and said something that I think is really over the top and uh, not appropriate. And uh, I'm a fan of Eric Winalda. I mean, you know, battle between Winalda and Berhalter, I, I, my ideology would take me towards Winalda. But, um, look, we're not in U.S. training. We're not in that camp. We're not in that hotel room. Gio Reyna is a guy that I've been saying for a year is the most talented American player. He's the best American player when he's fit, better than Pulisic, better than Adams, better than McKinney. He's also usually not fully fit. And I've seen him for Dortmund have spectacular games and then get hurt in the next match. And um, I I think also when you're in this sort of intense frenzy, I I think the England match was perfect for him. And maybe he should have been subbed out earlier in that match. Um, But I just don't see today as, a, as an occasion. Unless, I mean, of course, you do need a guy to hold the ball at that, at that point in time uh, and, and, and direct the counterattack. But at the same time, Iran was beginning to run out of ideas. After, um, after about minute 80, although they did have the one great chance on goal, right, in, in, in stoppage time, um, it seemed, they seemed a little less dangerous, honestly. And they were whipping crosses into the area and whipping long balls into the area. So you get another tall defender who can defend well, who can stuff that out and Walker Zimmerman on. I think that's the right call. Um, look, Daniel, I mean, I, I, you and I spent time on this show, however many shows, talking about we didn't like the process by which Greg Berhalter was hired. We had other names, Jesse Mars, Juan Carlos Osorio, whoever, um, uh, Ulian Lopetegui, uh, other names that we, we would have preferred. But he is the manager. And I – feel like there is a significant portion of the U.S. fan base, and I, I don't see this going on in most other countries, um, that um, will find fault with any decision Burhalter makes and will magnify that, that, fault, that so, uh, perceived fault in anything Burhalter does, says or does. The U.S. could win the World Cup, and you will have a contingent of U.S. men's national team fans who are particularly vocal on social media and have their own YouTube channels finding fault with how the U.S. won the World Cup. So uh, if Berhalter is the manager, which he he would be if the U.S. won this World Cup. So I I don't put that much credence into it, and I'm really tired of the Gio Reyna discussion. I think he's a guy you might need against the Netherlands for for 20, 30 minutes. Of course, that's a, a match where extra time could be a factor also. Um, but um, I, I, I just don't think it's, it's a valid talking point today. The U.S. got the goal they needed. They shut the door. The substitution, when Weah came off, now, granted, you didn't have a target, uh, but Haji Wright was doing some running. He was running the channels. Aronson, we know, is very energetic. Um, you at least had an outlet ball. Uh, maybe then you didn't have a guy who could hold it, but I think if you don't put Zimmerman in, you're running the risk of one of these Desperate long balls, Iran heaves forward, uh, connecting with someone and being in the back of the net. So I, I, I say it's the right call again from Berhalter. No, I agree, Kardik. I mean, look, I, I mean, I want to see our players do well no matter where they play, whether they play in MLS or they play abroad. It does not matter. Everyone deserves an opportunity to be on this national team if they're performing at the highest level, no matter where they are located in or on this planet. And Robert, I agree with Kardec, is that this is getting ridiculous. So what if, you know, all the players that started this match uh, did not play in MLS to, you know, to be on the starting 11? I don't care about that. That narrative is just blatantly pathetic, it is false, it is stupid, and we should never, ever have to have a discussion to talk about this national team in this World Cup just because, oh my God, how dare they play this guy if he plays for the Los Angeles Galaxy, or for FC Dallas, or for Sporting Kansas City, or for the New York Red Bulls, or for DC United. If they're good enough to be on a club that's doing well, on that particular club, and they get called in for the U.S. men's national team, so be it. Just as they're doing well enough for Leeds, for Chelsea, for Liverpool, for uh, Borussia Dortmund, for Barcelona, for, for Real Madrid, for Juventus, I don't care, Robert. They're on this national team. They're playing for us. They're playing 
for the country, and that should be that. Yeah, I I think it's a today's you know uh, note that it's you know this is the first time or whatever that we've had all players that none of have played in MLS. I mean that's all it should be at this point is just a historical footnote. I mean a little bit of bar trivia or something like that. Um, really, um, I think where a lot of this is driven, and this is a conversation for another time, probably an entire show about how politics and sports collide a little too much in this country. Because I think a lot of, and I'm sure Cardiff will appreciate this as a politics person, um, you know, sometimes our politics and our sports, uh, they mirror each other, and that's not a good thing. Um, so I think that there's a lot of noise about, um, especially when you see people who are like, you know, I hope that we lose so, you know, somebody gets fired. And that's just ridiculous. I mean, at the end of the day, um, really what matters is how we develop players and how we get players ready in this, this team ready for the World Cup. And this is something we talk about probably um, well, all the time. I won't say every every show we have, but, you know, all the time where, you know, what's what's the most important thing? That we have a a pool of players that can come up and compete at the highest levels. And so we focus on, you know, where is our starting 11 on the World Cup team playing? Well, I, I want to know where, you know, how we're getting players on the youth teams. And are, are, you know, youth players in the U.S. able to um, find success or is, you know, pay to play and so on and so forth. So I think the most important thing to worry about another day is, you know, how are we, are we bring is, is the top talent, no matter where they play at the senior level, are we developing um a system in the U.S. that is bringing that top talent forward and bringing them up to the senior team. And, um, you know, at least for today, um, we had a diverse group of players who play for different countries, in different countries for club, different clubs, different backgrounds, different ways of coming up through the system. And I think that's the strength of the U.S. And that's something that we have that, um, you know, other countries, some other countries don't have, a lot of them do, but some others don't, which is, you know, we can bring in players who play in the Bundesliga and have, you know, that, those experience. We can pl- bring in a Cameron Carter-Vickers who plays in the Scottish Premiership and has that experience, and that experience may benefit, you know, in a game like today. Or, you know, when we play against the Netherlands, you know, certainly players who play in another league, there might be a, an advantage there to having a player that plays there. So, you know, I think much like Tyler Adams uh, mentioned in the press conference prior to this match, you know, diversity is a great thing. In, in terms of sporting diversity, I think that's great for the U.S. and certainly um, is helping this team in this World Cup. Exactly correct, and that's all that really matters. Carter, let's just get back to the discussion of this matchup um, because once again, Tyler Adams proves to you why he is the captain of this U.S. men's national team. Not only did he show it on the pitch against Iran, but he showed it to that Iranian journalist who tried to set him up for failure on that loaded question about what goes on, not only how you pronounce the country's, his country's name, but the politics that goes on here in our country. And he was just a boss at the podium when he was answering that question. And at the same time, Kardec, what an amazing player. I'm not surprised because we all know where Tyler Adams grew up in club football, the New York Red Bulls, the New York State native who did everything well in Harrison, New Jersey, at Red Bull Arena. Look at him now, not just being on this national team, what he's doing now with Leeds in the Premier League, and how he has been defending with assisting the back line on those balls. Yeah, especially given the the fact that the U.S. is not uh, blessed as we have been in the past, although maybe some people would say it's not a blessing, but we don't have that ball-winning destroyer in midfield, you know, the Pablo Mascarenes, the Rico Clarks, the Chris Armisen, those sorts of players that we've had in the past. So um, you're reliant on a guy like Tyler Adams that is smarter in in, in how he positions himself and how he reads the game than any American I've seen uh, since Michael Bradley, uh, and he's in the top five, I would say, all time. Uh, on that list. I got a lot of slack two years ago, or I guess it's now been about two, two and a half years, um, right after the COVID restart, when this league starts back up, uh, Adams is at Red Bull Leipzig, or RB Leipzig, excuse me, Freudian slip there, RB Leipzig, and um, he, um, I, I tweeted out that this is the smartest American player we have. You know, we haven't had a guy 
that understands uh, the game and, and positions himself properly uh, and reads the game as well as this in some time uh, since prime Michael Bradley. And I got all kinds of backlash for it. I mean, I couldn't believe that people then thought it was somehow a, a shot at Christian Pulisic, which was very weird. Uh, but there were a lot of Americans at that time who didn't want they, – they put Pulisic on a pedestal and they didn't want anyone compared to him. Well, I wasn't comparing him to Pulisic. I was just saying he was the best there was at this particular trait, which is especially important for a number six or a number eight, um, which is why I've always wanted him in central midfield. I have not liked the idea of him playing right back, not because I don't think he's a better – defender and, and will read the game maybe a little better than Serginio Death. Obviously, he doesn't give you the same kind of pace. Um, but it was because you're taking him out of central midfield, which is something I never wanted to see. In terms of the Iranian journalist, um, you know, I think he handled it beautifully. I probably would have snapped and just said, well, okay, then if you want to argue that, we'll just call you Persia for, from now on uh, so that we don't get into this pronunciation of Iran versus Iran or however you want to pronounce it. So, um, that uh, I thought he handled beautifully, which is why he's been given the armband, um, which is another thing which um, indicates what I'm talking about. Burhalter has seen that also from watching the, the, the matches like a coach. You put the armband on the guy who leads by example and who um, has the positioning sense and kind of the smart uh, to handle a press conference properly. So very, very uh, deserving captain. And I think he uh, has, is having uh, maybe the standout World Cup along with Timmy Reen, you know, two former Red Bull players, so you should be happy about that, Daniel. Having the standout World Cup, uh, those two guys are the, the two uh, kind of elite American players we've seen in this World Cup. And, of course, Reen captains his Premier League team. I mean, how many Americans have worn the armband at that level uh, in European club football? Very few. Uh, and I don't think uh, any have worn the armband as often as Tim Reen. So, we have two leaders in there, uh, and they're doing a phenomenal job for us, right, right in the spine where you want them. Exactly, exactly. And i got to tell you right now, guys, this has been an amazing, amazing run at this point in time so far. Funny thing I've just seen on Twitter, uh, Peter Schwartz of WFAN, and a, a colleague of mine who's also a soccer guy as well, he just posted uh, uh, USA Beats Iran one nothing, and it's the old... Hulk Hogan pinning the Iron Sheik to win the WWF Heavyweight Championship. So that's a great photo for for those of us nostalgia. Yes, I'm dating myself there, guys. Uh, (laughs) If you're a fan of uh, good old-fashioned WWF, WWE wrestling, and all that fun stuff. But back to this game, Robert. Didn't really have to do much, did he? Uh, I mean, I, I know he's made some several decent plays obviously you know he was able to grab balls with with ease nothing really threatened him and even if the ones that were threatening were nowhere near him whatsoever over the bar wide to the far post wide to the near post uh, just to me Matt Turner not saying I expect him to have an easy match against Iran but um look I just think the simple balls or the easy ones just came to him naturally, and he just really wasn't uh, peppered that much. Yeah, we, we certainly didn't see the Tim Howard versus Belgium situation where he's standing on his head, you know, saving the U.S.'s bacon, you know, left and right and, and you know, keeping them in the match kind of thing. Um, so, you know, I think there's something to be said, though, for like a confidence in the back. So even though he doesn't make the spectacular or didn't in this match make the spectacular saves, the things that we're going to remember, you know, 10 years from now, um, I think that it says a lot about the, the partnership and working together with, um, you know, Tim Ream and the defenders in front of him, that there's a confidence there that you don't see even when the U.S. is under, you know, intense pressure, um, mistakes, you know, as many scrambles in the back, anything like that, where, you know, sometimes you'll see with a team, you know, defenders just kicking the ball every which way, just trying to get away from goal. Um, and I think sometimes that indicates a, a lack of confidence in the keeper. In this U.S. team, you don't see that as often. You saw one, maybe Zimmerman header at the end of the match that um, you know, was like, well, that's actually Matt Turner's ball, but, you know, it's fine. He was just playing it safe. But you don't see that too often in the match. And I think that's a testament to the confidence they have in, in him. Um, in this match. So it's, it's good that he isn't a talking point uh, overall. Now, you know, obviously the road gets tougher from here. Um, although it's still pretty tough against England, but you're going to be facing some tougher things. But I think at this point, um, us fans should have a lot of confidence in him 
and um, should be comfortable with him in the back. And again, you know, to, to touch on Cardick's points about Greg Berhalter, we talked about this in the last match, you know, this is another feather in his cap about going with a player who a lot of people weren't expecting to be starting this World Cup, but, um, you know, he saw something in camp and he went with the Arsenal backup keeper and um, here we are with, um, you know, once again, feeling a little bit of com- a little bit of comfort with that U.S. defense. Although, again, it gets harder from here and we'll see um, how well they do in the knockout rounds. And, and Cardiff, we don't really have to really talk much about it, but I mean, you know, I, I'm not surprised that Matt Turner's been doing very well in this World Cup. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves here, Cardiff. If you want to look at look at the group as a whole, outside of the penalty that was converted by Gareth Bale in the Wales match to level it at one, I mean, Matt Turner's been sensational. Uh, he he's been there when you need him, and he's made the saves when he's had to make the saves. And uh, other than that. The, the rest of the outfield players have been fantastic. Yeah, and there's, a, there's an organization in the conference he brings, that's Zach Steffen, uh, who, who I'm pleased was dropped completely, right? Uh, I, I don't think he's uh, – I, I, I think there are issues with how he plays and the franticness in which he, uh, he plays. And, and, and as I've said previously in your show, Daniel, um, a lot of U.S. fans don't watch – uh, Stefan regularly at the club level. At Manchester City, he wasn't playing regularly, but when he did play, he always had a mistake in him. And it would be often a mental mistake. And it would, it would be him charging off his line and, uh, or not reading across correctly. You know, like some very basic stuff. So um, I think Turner brings a general calmness and, a, um, and, and an organization in addition to his ability uh, as a shot stopper to make uh, uh, some critical saves. Obviously, he made the huge save uh, um, the, 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 against uh, the uh, uh, against the Welsh in the first match, right? I mean, made made a huge, huge save yep. in that game uh, that mm-hmm. kept the game at one nil at the time. Um, was not really tested by England. Um, Again, you know, maybe it just speaks to the weakness of this group that England had seven points, but um, coming out of the group. And then uh, today, you know, he was positioned properly, right? There were a couple of opportunities Iran had uh, where Turner's positioning, his, his calmness, not coming off his line, uh, not, not flailing it across. You know, these are all things we've seen Stefan do, or I've seen Stefan do at least at the club level. I don't know if he's done – I don't think he's made as many mistakes at the national team level. But these are all things that Burhalter would have observed um, with Stefan and realized – Going into a World Cup, you have to drop him. Another big call by Greg Berhalter, because everyone assumed Stefan was his guy. Uh, I think it was, what, a year and a half ago, or maybe two years ago now, Dan. I can't remember. Remember, when was qualifying? I guess a year and a half ago, when we had a show mm-hmm. where you and I were talking about this Turner versus Stefan thing. And I think the whole show turned into that. Someone called in and was an anti-MLS person and favored Stefan. Remember that? I mean, it was... It was yep. crazy, and I tried to yep. tell that person, hey, I watch him at Manchester City. Not only does he not play regularly, that's okay. You can get away with not playing regularly if you don't make mistakes when you play. So Turner has gotten some Europa League matches. Uh, he got the League Cup exactly. match right before, mm-hmm. um, right before the World Cup break, the League Cup match that Arsenal played. So he, um, he's gotten some games at Arsenal. He's playing behind Aaron Ramsdale, who I, I, I would start if I were uh, Gareth Southgate, but he's not with Pickford. So I think he's uh, informed and uh, very, very confident and is got a chemistry with this uh, set of players. And also one, one quick note. I know I've gone on here for a little bit, but one more quick note on Turner. I think because you make the change and you're bringing Tim Ream into this back line and then ultimately bring Carter Vickers in too, uh, bring CCV in for this third match, having Stefan um, w- would not have – Work. I think when you integrate some new defenders um, into a team with teammates they haven't played with, although obviously Reem and Robinson play together at, at Fulham, obviously. So they play together more than uh, any combination of U.S. players because they play together at the club level. But it's, I think it was really good to have a calmer uh, presence in goal. And so all of these things factor into the decision. It's not all about ability and what you see on paper. And I wish a lot of U.S. fans would, would take a time out now, take a deep breath. We've gotten through this group and understand that. Some of the decisions Burhalter have made, has made have made perfect sense now upon reflection. 
No, exactly. And, you know, that's all we want to see from, out of the manager. We want to see starting 11s that make sense, substitutions that make sense. We just want to see how the manager puts this wonderful young era. This, I, If you want to say, Robert, a golden generation right now, that's fine. I mean, I'm not going to argue over that because what we're seeing right now is a very young, attacking, and well-defending team that can go out there and pull off a result like they did against England, like they did against the Iranians. I still, even though 1-1 against Wales is still kind of a yuck result, I still feel it's a a decent result for them in their first ever World Cup playing, you know, the biggest, the biggest, you know, tournament in the world that, you know, you don't expect them to, you know, do well, or maybe they can do well, but, but still though, that to me, they had to learn what they got to do for themselves in that first group stage game before you play these next two, which they have done successfully now, and now have advanced into the next round, Robert. Yeah, I, I feel like the term golden generation is almost a jinx now at this point, because we talk about golden generations for different countries, and um only sometimes it works out. You know, I, I think that it puts a heavy weight upon uh, upon players and, and upon, you know, groups of players. Um, but, you know, I, I, again, it's funny looking back on, I think it was, I was trying to think, I was thinking about this the other day, how many years ago, might have been a few years ago now, but, you know, they had the, the U.S. Uh, Soccer Federation had this, created this series about, you know, the young, you know, the young up and coming stars and the 11 players and so forth. And, all they were talking about were these 11 young players, and Ben was one of them, and there was a couple others that, you know, aren't featuring um, here necessarily. And it's like, um, you know, this excessive focus about already starting to pre-market players who, honestly, some of them, you know, like young players are, sometimes are too young to be, um, you know, young players burn out, young players don't develop. And um, there was a seemingly obsession with, you know, we have these players, these are going to be the next stars, these are going to be our golden generation. And um, I think it's dangerous sometimes to really focus on that. So we, what we have now with the U.S. is, you know, we, we've seen now three World Cup games, first time in eight years that we've seen a U.S. team in the World Cup. And, you know, we have um, seen through three games that we do have a core of players that can, can perform at the international level. Um, you know, we faced England, who, you know, um, people are saying is, you know, a favorite in this World Cup. Eh, eh, eh. I don't know if I agree with that, but, you know, hey, they're a quality side. Um, and have, you know, really shown their mettle in, you know, tough win-or-go-home matches. So um, we see some flaws in this player setup, in this player pool. Um, you know, this this nagging thing of, you know, can they create goal-scoring opportunities and score more than one goal a match is, is there. Um, that may come back to bite them at some point, um, but it's a World Cup, so it might not. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I think what we have here is we have the basis – uh, and the the a core of players that are not only young and not only talented, but really can live up to the moment in the World Cup, which is its own weird um, situation. And in this World Cup, where you know you're taking players out mid mid club season, um, you know short turnaround time to get ready for this World Cup, you know, and this generation I also want to mention has been disrupted by a, a, the global pandemic. You know, there was a time where. Um, friendlies weren't consistent, travel wasn't consistent, and so forth. And I, that's affected everybody to varying degrees. But, um, you know, the, the, this group of players has been through some weird stuff. And what we see so far is that, um, you know, looking ahead, I, I don't, like I said, don't want to call them a golden generation, but I do think we have a group of players here that we could um, depend upon in the future to, um, you know, make us proud um, in future World Cups. And even, you know, this year, there's still lots of time this year to, to see what they can do. So I think it's exciting to look ahead. And, um, you know, not every country has that. You know, we don't have the pressure of some of these countries where, you know, your your star players are, this might be their last World Cup. And, you know, we won't go through those names because we all know those names. But, um, you know, hopefully for a number of these players, we'll be seeing them for years to come. Um, but I feel, you know, I think we should all feel a little bit more confident if you're a U.S. fan um, and who we have as a core uh, that we can supplement for years to come. Cardick, obviously we have to be worried about injuries once again. Uh, Christian Pulisic, 
He had a injury um, after he scored the goal, ran into the goalkeeper of Iran, and apparently it's a uh, stomach muscle issue of some sort. And then, of course, Josh Sargent, uh, he avoided his tackle in the second half and you know did it very well. But then, unfortunately, as he was avoiding that tackle, he stepped on the ball, which he wasn't expecting to do. And he might have injured his ankle there on his right his right ankle. Um, cause for concerns? Or do you think they'll be ready to go for Saturday? Yeah, I mean, Pulisic, it's, it's persistent uh, injuries now. Um, he, 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 that was just an absolute gutsy um, uh, move when he uh, um, when, when he got that goal. And uh, unfortunately, you know, he, he put himself on the line, and he. We know he's a fragile guy, so I don't know. I don't know if he'll be ready to go against the Netherlands. Now, I guess if he isn't, that gives everybody what they want, right? Because they've all wanted Gio Reyna, and we're told that this is uh, going to be some dynamic, free-flowing team. And by the way, this is international football. This isn't Manchester City or, uh, or Barcelona, okay, or Bayern. This, France, who won the last World Cup, set up – and play kind of a, a similar system to, where, to what the U.S. has done in this World Cup, okay? Um, very few teams are, are swashbuckling at the international level. I, this is part of the case for why people want uh, Di Arena to play. But uh, those teams, Chile uh, under Bielsa in 2010, uh, Colombia under Jose Peckerman, uh, multiple World Cups, they, you know, they get knocked out pretty early, right? They make it to the knockout stage and get knocked out. So I, I, I think a lot of these U.S. fans picking on Berhalter are uh, – are, are really not giving the proper perspective. But in terms of Josh Sargent, very unfortunate injury. He avoids that tackle. A running player goes in, uh, slide tackles. He jumped, he, he, he avoids the uh, contact. And then I, I think with the, anticipating the ball would, would, would be six, six inches uh, a foot further along. And he stepped on it and injured himself. If the U.S. does not have Josh Sargent against uh, the Netherlands, that's the problem. Because um, Sargent is a unique player in the U.S. pool. He's a guy that makes runs, um, that, can, that, that, that you can start him as a nine, he can drift into wide areas. He, his hold-up play uh, with his back to goal is by far the best of any player in the U.S. pool. Um, and his understanding of when to make runs, when to, 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 to kind of drift a little deeper, it's better than any striker in the U.S. pool currently. So um, it's a real problem if we don't have Sargent. Obviously, it's a real problem if we don't have Pulisic. But I know there's a chorus out there who wants to see Gio Reyna, so maybe they'll be quite happy if Pulisic is out. I mean, that's uh, my assumption. I think it would be bad for the U.S. if Pulisic were out. But um, there are a lot of geniuses out there that think uh, if Reyna plays, the U.S. is, is going to win the World Cup. So uh, maybe they'll get their wish. We'll see what happens there. And, of course, Robert, um, the one thing that's been annoying me right now uh, is the delivery of the corners. I mean, outside of the England match, uh, corner kick-taking has been extremely poor from this U.S. team. And I know they're, they're working on it, but, you know, if you're going to have these corners delivered perfectly, you know, to either McKenney or Zimmerman or maybe even Carter Vickers or – Anyone that could sneak in and head that ball into the goal, um, they got to be better at those corners. They just have to improve on their corner kick play. Yeah, and, and I'll just start by saying I'm definitely not one of those geniuses because uh, nobody's ever accused me of that. So um, we're safe here. Um, you know, in terms of, of set pieces, yeah, I mean, Cardiff's spot on that, you know, style of play, we, we think there's a style of play that wins World Cups, but in honesty, and honestly, it, it depends on the World Cup, depends on the matchups and so forth. And you, there's a number of styles throughout the years that um, have you know, different clubs have um, employed that, you know, will we'll win the tournament, you know, based on situations. Otherwise, um, you know, the Netherlands would have two or three World Cups at this point. So, but I think one consistent is set pieces and the ability to excel in corners and set pieces. And um, ironically, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting we say the U.S. did – probably their best in the three matches against England, where there was, we hit all highlighted, that would be a definite disadvantage. So, you know, can the U.S. Um, kind of hang on, on on set pieces and corners against a, an England team that excels there? Um, but the U.S. did fairly well. Um, 
but in the other matches, you're right, there really isn't too much of a threat in terms of, of scoring off of them. So, it, you know, and so I guess the question is, is, you know, how do you fix that? You know, is it a matchup thing? And with going into the knockout rounds where, you know, you're, you could potentially see a lot of one, uh, one nil um, results, um, these these situations become even more crucial um, because there is no next game to make up for them. So is it a matchup thing? Is it a lineup thing? And does, you know, does Greg Berhalter make this? He now sit there and, you know, say CCV performed well in this game. We need somebody, you know, to get ahead on the ball uh, if it's near the goal. Um, is he the, per, you know, does he earn more playing time because of that? You know, is it switching up who takes the kicks? Is it, you know, switching things around? Um they have a little bit of time to play with that over the next few days. Um, but hopefully what they do in camp, find some solutions because I would be shocked if at some point, um, if they were to continue here, that there wasn't a, a corner or a set piece that resulted in a, a one nothing goal that was the definitive one. And uh, I'd hopefully the U S would be on the winning side of that rather than the losing side. Yeah, I agree with you there, Robert. All right, gentlemen, real quick. Um, CONCACAF as a whole, I know, Mexico, Canada, Costa Rica have not played their final group stage matches yet. We all know Canada has already been eliminated after two games. And uh, Mexico, uh, one draw after two matches. And uh, Costa Rica with that late winner against Japan, one win out of two matches. But overall, for this confederation, including the U.S., uh, how do you guys feel uh, our confederation has done so far with the four teams representing them outside of the U.S., which will always go with number one. Uh, I expected Canada to basically go three and out, not saying that I don't believe in their roster, just that this is their first time back in the World Cup since 1986. And hopefully, um, you know, they'll add on to uh, uh, the next World Cup, which they'll be one of the three hosts uh, in four years' time. Mexico, I think, uh, right now is a shambles. Um, I think Tata Martino, uh, his you know his roster decisions of not bringing over Vela, which obviously Vela is not going to be on the national team anyway because he feels betrayed, and not having Javier Hernandez, Chicharito on that roster is a failure, and the embarrassment uh, that Costa Rica faced against Spain, even though they got the win over uh, Japan uh, to survive a bit, I just don't know if that's enough for them to advance to the next round, depending on what happens in their final group stage match. Uh, Kardec, your thoughts first, and then we go to Robert. Yeah, so Canada, I, I feel like they, they, they covered themselves with a lot of credit. They played really well in that game against Belgium, fearless. Uh, match against Croatia, you're playing uh, against the sitting, you know, the defending World Cup runner-ups, if you can defend being runner-up. But, you know, a team that's got some final last time. Um, granted, this is a, a younger Croatia without Rakitic and without uh, uh, Mandzukic. Those two guys were so instrumental in that run four years ago. But um, I felt like they played well for a half and then, you know, just caught up with them. So I didn't. Ex- I expected three out, three and out for them. I, I'm very proud of their effort. I, I know a lot of the Canadian guys personally, as, I, as I've indicated on social media. I actually know more of their players personally than, than U.S. players. So very proud they made it, proud of their effort. Uh, Mexico is a shambles. Uh, they, they, uh, Tata Martino has made a bunch of mistakes, I think, in his selection. I think that they don't have a definitive style that they're trying to play, and they seem very reactive in every match. Very fortunate they escaped against Poland with a point. They shouldn't have. I think they were outplayed in that match. Uh, Memo Ochoa with a, with a great save on a penalty. And uh, they got rightly beat by Argentina. Uh, in terms of Costa Rica, this is where I see a little bit of an opening for CONCACAF, because... Uh, Costa Rica, I felt like uh, this wasn't a cycle for them. I thought that they, uh, uh, they, they need to rebuild and, and, and qualify for 2026. They somehow got in this time, right? They, 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 they passed Panama in the last uh, match day uh, or next to last match day of qualifying after a poor start uh, with a young team, uh, some veterans, but uh, a fairly young team. Uh, somehow, you know, were able to, to claw through New Zealand when they were outplayed in that match. Uh, in the playoff, and um, awful performance against Spain, but um, played pretty well against Japan, against a, a good Japanese team, a Japanese team I rate fairly highly. So um, they get Germany now. Uh, you talk about Tata Martino making a bunch of mistakes. I think Hansi Flick still doesn't have a feel for what he wants to do with this Germany side. They don't have a natural number nine other than 
uh, Mukuku, who turned 18 just a few days ago, right? So they don't have a, a, a national nine who can, who can play at this level or who has any experience. Um, tried Kai Havertz in the first match. That didn't work. Tried going without a nine uh, and keeping Musiala and Gnabry in the team against Spain. To be honest with you, I don't think that worked either. Somehow they got out of there with a draw. Um, uh, Germany may be tempted once again to throw someone in as a false nine if it's Havertz or somebody else, uh, and, 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 and push Musiala deeper and not play with the three-man midfielder Goretzka, uh, uh, Goretzka Gundogan, and uh, Kimmich. If they do that, I think the door is open for Costa Rica to get a point. And if they get a point, they might go through. Uh, I don't think they can necessarily beat Germany, but I can very easily see, uh, see a stalemate. We've also seen... Flick make a mistake in playing Sula right back in one of the matches. And uh, uh, Klosterman has come into this World Cup in terrible form at Dortmund, and that's continued in the World Cup. So I, I think Costa Rica's got a shot to take something from Germany in advance. And if Costa Rica advances, joining the United States um, in the knockout stages, I think that's a successful World Cup for this, federa- for this confederation. Yeah, Robert, and I'll, I'll just follow up, I'll follow up with that. I, was, I, I actually chatted with someone who um, – is in the football space in Germany uh, just yesterday, and we were talking about the the German side, and he said uh, a lot of what Kardec just said, which is you know just lack of lack of of transitions in the last few cycles, lack of, of creative thought, and just kind of um, not the same German side that I think a lot of people are used to seeing. So um, I think that hearing that you know kind of makes me agree with Kardec as well that that could be interesting. Um, you know, I think overall in terms of the federation, I mean, I think we, all, we we were kind of talking about this during qualifying that CONCACAF is a little bit weaker than it has been in past cycles. Mexico going through transition, plus making management decisions, as we've discussed, that um, are questionable at times. Um, you know, Canada, um, tons of talent. But I think there is something to be said for, um, you know, going back to the World Cup for the first time in a while. You know, you have a lot of players that, um, I mean, I, I think Croatia is a bad matchup for them in general because even though Croatia is cycling off some players, they have a very experienced manager, very experienced leadership, and that's a club that won't, you know, obviously as they showed, didn't fold when they gave up a goal early. Um, you know, they they have a veterans mentality, and that was, it was always going to be a tough matchup for a team like Canada with tons of talent but not a lot of experience in this World Cup. So, um you know, I, I think going into this World Cup, we knew, and going into the cycle, we knew CONCACAF would be a little bit weak. Um, if Costa Rica, like Cardiff says, is able to get to the knockout rounds, I, I think if you're CONCACAF, you're you're popping a bottle of champagne and celebrating, so that's great. I think having just the U.S. go through is is, is probably pretty good for this federation. And, um, you know, again, spotlights on them in 2026. Um, so we'll see how qualification and what the, you know, what all the slots look like, but, um, getting one to two teams through this world cup is great. Probably better, probably about what they deserve Two might be a little better than the, the federation deserves, um, in terms of how the teams have played and what the qualifying look like. But, um, 2026 is where it's going to be at for this federation. That's really what they should be ramping up for. And gentlemen, let's quickly re, uh, preview the Dutch. I think we've watched them already enough in this World Cup to know how dangerous they are. We know who the danger men are. But what does the U.S. need to do uh, to get the victory to advance into the quarterfinals? Kardec, your thoughts? I think Gakpo is the danger man that, uh, for the Dutch. A player I like a lot at PSV didn't think he'd be burst onto the international scene in quite this, this caliber. The Dutch don't have a natural goal scorer, right? They still have Veghorst on the bench, who I, I think is – Faded as a player, you know, his last year at Bullsport was very poor. He came over to Burnley, didn't do much. Um, so they don't have many goals in them, but they do have in, in Frankie de Jong, and, and uh, then their solid back line, uh, and Von Hall has gone back to three at the back for them. Um, some real uh, game breakers. And this is where your set piece thing comes into uh, 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 play, uh, Daniel. My concern is, you have, in Frankie de Jong, an elite ball striker uh, on set pieces, free kicks. And then you have Van Dyke, Ake, the list. I mean, you have these really good center backs who can get up in the air. So, one, the U.S. is not going to get much off set pieces, given what we've seen from set piece delivery in the, first, in, in the group stage. And secondly, you could have the Dutch uh, score a goal that way. I don't think the Dutch are as much of a threat in open play as they've been in the past. 
Um, Memphis is still a player uh, that has some pace uh, and has some veteran uh, tends to get to make the right run at the right time. But I actually think the U.S. is a very good shot to win this match. Uh, the key will be in midfield. I think limiting uh, Frankie de Jong's uh, uh, range of passing and his ability to dictate the tempo of the match is the key. And guess what? This goes right back to everything you've been saying for three matches, Daniel. Tyler Adams is the guy that is uh, going to be front and center and trying to do that. And Tyler Adams is going to have that yellow card on him into this match. Robert, what's the one thing the U.S. needs to do uh, to make sure that they get their advantage on the Netherlands to advance into that next round? Uh, one thing I think they need to do is make sure, and this is going to be a, a out there thing, get make sure everyone's healthy. I think if you have if, if Sergeant Pulisic or Hurt uh, and Giorena is not 100, percent um, I think they're going to have we're going to have some matchup issues. But um, I think get everybody healthy and everybody ready. And if you have a full U.S. squad are close to it, then uh, I think the U.S. stands a good chance here. All right, gentlemen, thank you again uh, for your uh, assistance in this post-game show. And uh, once again, this coming Saturday, the USA will be taking on the Dutch, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on Fox National. And we'll have the Forest Kings Fire American Soccer Show post-game show this coming Saturday, noon Eastern at 9 a.m. Pacific, and hopefully we'll have all three gentlemen with me on the show. Robert Hay, Carter Krishnayer, thank you once again, and talk to you guys on Saturday, and enjoy your afternoon evening. Yeah, thank you. Talk to you Saturday. Thank you. All right, and once again, this is Daniel Feuerstein of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to me. The United States defeating Iran by a final of a goal to nil scored by Christian Pulisic. It's going to be a fun time on Saturday morning. Take care, so long, and bye-bye for now.